The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Am I on? Okay. Sensitive. Um, good evening. It's been a while since I've been here on a Monday night, so it's nice to be back here. Um, I wanted to talk about relationships and the Dharma. Uh, the practice um, <clears throat> the practice goes very deep when we sit in the cushion and we pay attention to our minds and we learn a lot about ourselves. But it really comes into uh, full fruition uh, when the practice... Uh, fills the rest of our lives. And um, one of my favorite stories that always uh, you know, stayed in my mind was the story of this um, monk who spent um, years in a cave, you know, very deep meditation practice, uh, spent long, long periods in bliss. And um, you know, he finally had to leave the mountain. I guess he had something to take care of. And, you know, and he's like happily walking down the path. You know, it's a beautiful day and he's really feeling happy. And then some guy in a hurry is just like coming by really quick and just jostles him. And suddenly all this anger arises. He punches the guy. Um, so that's, uh, you know, it's a little bit of what life's like. You know, we, we can be sitting very quietly and peacefully in meditation and feeling really, really comfortable some of the time. Uh, but yet it's when the challenges that life brings um, where the practice really develops. It's where it really hits that, uh, those rough edges that we have in ourselves. One of the things that... Um, I think Gil said this. He said that um, if you want to know how evolved a Dharma teacher is, ask his family. So, you know, how do you, um, you know, how do you respond when your four-year-old puts your iPhone in the toilet? Yeah. So that's, you know, that's the signs of our uh, maturity in practice. Um, So I wanted to talk about, you know, what, it's a healthy relationship. What does that mean? What is a mature relationship that we have with another person? And when we talk about this is, you know, some, some of you are in one, uh, in primary relationships with a spouse or partner. Uh, some of you are very close with uh, really good friends uh, or maybe with parents or children. All those relationships are areas that, um, in some ways, the closer we are to people, the, the more they can push our buttons, Right? In fact, my husband used to say, um, um, you know, the reason our parents um, can push our buttons so easily is because they installed them. Um, uh, which it feels that way, right? <laughs> um, so, so the difference between, you know, one of the ways that we can think of is the, an immature relationship um, is a relationship where we're centered on ourselves, it's all about me, 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 me and mine. These are my needs. This is what I want. This is what I want to do. And I care about you because it affects, you know, my happiness. Um, so that's an immature relationship. And, you know, where it's a, a really spiritually mature relationship, it's a relationship where we have like a, um, an honest exchange of communication 
and we care about the other person as much as we care about ourselves. Their happiness is just as important as our own happiness. And, um, and when I say that a mature relationship, that sounds like an idealized relationship. Most of us who have so-called mature relationships really have periods of a lot of immaturity at times. You know, when we really want something, you know, the four-year-old shows up. You know, I want that. I really want that really badly. So, you know, when we work with relationships with practice, it's helpful to understand what we like, what's, um, what freedom looks like, because we can experience that in a relationship, a relationship of mutual respect, um, of really listening to each other. But we also know that there's times we get really contracted. And, but how we work when we get contracted is really where the practice uh, becomes really useful. Um, and I just want to, one other kind of relationship there is, is an unhealthy relationship. And so when we talk about some of the ways we use the practice in being present for the difficulties, uh, it's very different. In an unhealthy relationship would be an abusive relationship or a relationship where people are so incompatible that there's no room for negotiation or compromise. So those are, would be unhealthy relationships, and I'm not going to address those tonight. I really want to address um, you know, what we can work with in our relationships. So as our spiritual life shifts from being ego-centered, me, 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 to um, being centered into um, a loving heart, uh, the, <clears throat> the movement towards freedom, towards non-attachment, as our life shifts into that place, we're actually happier making somebody happy than trying to make ourselves happy. It just kind of flows naturally. So it's not something we have to force in ourselves. Um, bringing the practice into our relationships looks very different depending on our background. Some of us grew up in really healthy, uh, loving homes. Some of us grew up in really um, majorly dysfunctional families. And so some of us grew up with a lot of self-esteem, some with a lot of self-hatred. And so we come to the practice from all these different directions. And yet the way that we practice is the same because we all get caught up by the same things. Um, the, the, um, in the Buddhist path, there are um, three primary intentions that we want to focus on. Uh, those intentions are what precede all our actions. Whatever intention is, is what uh, leads to how we act in the world, what we say, what we do. For instance, if your intention is to hurt somebody, it's pretty clear you're going to say something that's not very nice. Um, so the three intentions that we talk about are the intention to be uh, of goodwill, of kindness, and... Um, I have the quote, the Dalai Lama said, um, this is my simple religion. There's no need for temples, no need for complicated philosophy 
our own brain, our own heart is our temple. This philosophy is kindness. And that's really the intention that we want to bring into a relationship, into any relationship, whether it's with a parent, with a child, with a really good friend, um, with a, a primary partner, um, or with ourselves alone. Um, sometimes when we have, some people are in places in their lives they don't have a lot of relationship. And so then that relationship becomes really primary, how we are with ourselves. The second of the intention, of the um, right intentions or wise intentions is non-harming. And that's a little bit different than having goodwill or being kind. Um, the thought of not harming comes from uh, feeling other people's pain, from compassion. Compassion is when we really see that other people are suffering. So if you're having an argument with your spouse, and for a moment you connect with the fact that, you know, wow, they're really hurting. You know, wow, I don't want to cause any more pain to that. You know, when you see that, you just stop. You stop doing that. And so having the intention to not harm um, is a very uh, important intention to hold close to our hearts. And the last of the three uh, wise intentions is renunciation or letting go. And in relationship, that means that, for instance, if you're caught, let's say you're having an argument about um, um, what you're going to do for vacation, and you, one person really wants to you know, go to Hawaii and the other one wants to go to golf camp. You know, and uh, so you're having this, this tightness and you each are yanking and pulling to get what you want. And so you notice, oh, wow, I'm all caught up in here. You know, what can I let go of? It doesn't mean that you let go of wanting to go to Hawaii. It means that you let go of how you are contracted in your body, in your heart, in your mind. What can you let go of when you're holding on so tightly to what you want? That it's creating, you're forgetting that the other person even exists because you're so, so tight, tightly wanting what you want. Um, so those are the three qualities that we can um, aim to have at our forefront when we're in relationship. Now, often what happens is things are moving very fast, you know, because there's a lot of talking, a lot of ideas going on, and we don't re- necessarily notice that we've gotten caught till we're kind of deep into it. You know, we've got a lot of habits. Um, and one of the things that... Um, that my husband and I do, is that if we find ourselves that we've really been caught up in something, is that we'll ask, whichever one of us thinks of it first, we'll say something like, let's be kind. It's a very simple thing that reminds me that I, wanna, I don't want to go into the direction of getting more caught up. And even though I might be angry, Still be angry. It's like, you know, you, might, you can be in the full throes of anger and then somebody says, be kind. It's like, what? Put on the brakes? <laughs> you know, you don't really want to put on the brakes. You know, you've got forward momentum, but it's enough. And my commitment to that is strong enough that I don't feed that anger anymore. And, it, and I let it go and it subsides. It may take a little bit of time, but my intention at that point is to let it go. 
And it's not repressing the anger. It's not, um, it's not pushing it away or making it wrong. But it's really not feeding something that's, that can be harmful in a communication. Some relationships um, don't include an equal exchange. You know, we're, I've been talking about these nice relationships where both people uh, are communicating and, uh, and wanting to have uh, a mature relationship. But for instance, um, you know, I could never talk to my mother. When my mother is alive, I could never talk to her. I mean, I could never get her to understand anything that was going on in my life and, and, um, or get her to be rational in relation to me. It just never happened. And um, I spent much of my early, early adult years, you know, kind of banging my head against the wall in relation to her wanting her to, you know, come on, just listen to me one time and really get me for a change, you know. And it just never happened, you know. And so it created a relationship where, she, you know, I was never happy with her uh, because it just, she just wasn't treating me the way I wanted to be treated, uh, which is a very common thing with, with uh, some dysfunctional families. And, um, and what really started to come as my practice uh, grew is that I finally realized this isn't going to happen, you know, and that I can actually learn to accept my mother for who she was, you know, for her pains, her sufferings, and that I didn't need her to get me. I didn't need her to love me. And so my heart could just loosen a little bit towards her. It was a gradual process of, of loosening up in that, in, in that direction. Uh, with our children, we, we don't want our children... Um, it's not an equal exchange. Uh, even though some parents treat their kids like it is, you know, like, I, look all I did for you. Has anybody ever heard that? You know, look all I did for you. You know, you owe me, you know. Um, you know, the relationship of a parent to a child is a relationship of giving, giving and giving and giving. And that's what a mature relationship is. We don't expect to get an equal appreciation back. I mean, it's wonderful when it happens, but that's not, that's not what happens in a very healthy relationship. Another thing that for me was significant um, in this area was that um, I grew up with the idea that, you know, I had a best friend, you know, and my best friend was someone I could tell everything to. And, um, you know, we really had each other's backs, you know, and we were, uh, it was a very, very special type of thing. She was interested in everything I did. I was interested in everything she did. Um, And it was a very special relationship. And um, I had the idea that all friendships should be that way. You know, your friends should care what you think. They should care what you do. Um, and if they didn't, they weren't real friends. And so I actually spent a lot of my life pushing people away because they really weren't good enough friends. Um, and at some point, you know, it, it finally dawned on me that uh, there's a lot of different kinds of friendships. And... Um, and I have this one friend, you know, he, um, you know, he comes over, he almost always eats at our house, never helps clean up, uh, never reciprocates with the meals, and talks nonstop and never asks about me. 
you know, and, you know, which, which on paper, it doesn't sound so good. But, but for some reason, I, I, there's something about him that I delight in. And I really enjoy his company when he comes over. And I've got enough, um, enough other people who listen to me that it doesn't feel like I'm, I'm missing out on anything. And so, um, you know, not expecting people to be a certain way uh, can really open up new avenues in relationships when we allow them to be who they are. So the next thing I wanted to talk about is um, working with the five hindrances in relationships. Um, uh, How many of you know what the five hindrances are? I just want to get a sense. Okay. I mean, I'll mention them again. Uh, Basically, when we meditate, you know, if the mind is clear and sharp and seeing clearly, it's wonderful. The rest of the time, when the mind isn't doing that, it's because there's a hindrance present. And those hindrances are either you're wanting something, you know, this is boring, I want want something more exciting, or, um, you know, you're uh, thinking about dinner or something on that level. Or aversion, you know, oh, the room's too hot. I could really meditate if the room was just a little bit more comfortable. Um, Or restlessness, you know, with the mind just flitting around, the monkey mind from one thing to another. Uh, Or sloth and torpor. Have any of you experienced that tonight? Usually in the evenings we get more people who just kind of, in the meditation, the mind just starts sinking down and maybe nodding off, you know. So those are the common things that happen in meditation. Or doubt, you know. Oh, God, I've been meditating now for, you know, for so long, and I still get, um, you know, all confused, you know. Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm no good at it, etc. So those same five qualities are what show up in relationship or in other aspects of our life. In fact, any moment in your life when you're not really clear and present there's usually a hindrance present. Something like that's going on. Um, so, for instance, in relationship, you know, uh, going back to the, um, uh, an example of, um, let's say I really want, um, wanted my husband to go somewhere with me and he didn't want to go. You know, like maybe, you know, he, he's right there, by the way. Maybe um, accompany me tonight and drive me here. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's that wanting, you know, that wanting. And that wanting, it's okay to want. You know, could you please drive me? You know, could you please come? I'd love for you to come. The wanting isn't the problem, but it's when we really want it. We go from a really nice desire, I want to have dinner, to I've got to have it right now. You know, that, that contraction. Um, and that happens in relationship a lot. And when it happens when you're talking to someone, when you're in a relationship and you don't see it, how does it feel at the other side when you're like really wanting something from that person? It doesn't feel so good. It's like you're being demanded of. You know, it doesn't feel like an equal exchange, like room for giving. It feels like you've, you've got to do this for me. You know, it's a very tight, uncomfortable feeling. And same thing, you know, with um, aversion arises in, in most relationships. You know, um, you know, you've you know, walk into the bedroom and there's uh, clothes all over the floor, right? You know, those, those kind of things that happen in a relationship. You know, the habits that we don't like. Um, and so how do we, do we give up our closeness to the person? Do we, for a little bit of time, stop appreciating them because there's clothes on the floor? Do we give up the love in our hearts for that, for that period because of that? 
We have a choice. We don't have to. You know, we can very nicely and firmly uh, even say, you know, please, um, you know, pick that up, you know, or please take, take it away, uh, without getting contracted and unhappy. So those are the possibilities that happen when we keep the intention of the practice at the center of our lives, to be kind, to not harm, to let go. It doesn't mean that we don't set parameters and boundaries. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, there was someone in my life who, um, uh, they called me a lot. And when they called, they didn't like to say goodbye. I mean, they didn't like to get off. And um, if I had something to do, they would say, oh, just one more question, just one more, you know. And so you go, okay, one more. And then there'd always be another one to follow. And it, it was like so painful to disengage every time um, that I used to dread the calls and um, avoid them if I could. And that was before caller ID, you know, so that made it really hard to do. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so at finally at one point, you know, and what would happen, I'd resent her, I'd, I'd be, you know, uh, um, angry, you know, but, but as the practice continued to work in me, um, I finally realized that I could set a boundary and, uh, and honor my b- boundary. Now, she might think it was rude, but it wasn't rude for me. I said, you know, uh, I'm going to get off in one minute. Okay, regardless of what you say to me, I'm sorry, that's what I'm doing. And I'd hang up. You know, I would actually hang up. And I, and I did it over and over and over again. And I, I had a boundary, and it worked for me. And somehow she, it still didn't particularly hurt her, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But, um, but it worked, you know. It doesn't always work that way. But, um, but there was a point where I could do that without my heart contracting and resenting her for making me do that, you know. So, um, so there's a real sense of freedom when we're able to do things like that. Um. One of the things that, um, that sometimes happens, you know, we idealize how we're supposed to be and how our relationships are supposed to be. And when they fail, we get really disappointed. And instead of seeing it as part of our uh, learning process, part of, that's how we learn anything, is by failing, right? Um, I was on a retreat. It was a, a, a long retreat, so people were really, really still. And the Dharma teacher comes into the meditation hall, and she sits down, looks around, and she says, um, I just had a huge fight with my partner. And I was so pissed, not only of the argument we were having, but that he did this to me right before I had to give a Dharma talk, you know. And uh, you know, my first reaction to what she said I was, I was actually, I was shocked. I said, oh my God, I can't believe she revealed that. That was so transparent. I mean, she's a Dharma teacher. She's supposed to hide the fact that she gets upset, you know. <laughs> uh, that's what entered my mind at the time. Um, and, but then as, as I saw the transparency with which she talked about it and how she processed it 
um, inside herself so that she had the fight, blew up, she, her ego got hurt, and her intention was to accept the situation and just fold it right into the practice. She just it just went right beautifully folded it into the practice. She noticed what happened. She saw, um, you know, she wanted to get, make a good impression at the Dharma talk. Um, and um, and she, it, it was very, actually fairly quickly she was able to flow into that. And um, so instead of being this kind of uh, disruptive thing that of the fight, it was actually a really great example for me that, I mean, this, this happened over... Um, almost 15 years ago, and it's still there in my mind as, as a moment where I learned so much of how to be with difficult things and that it's okay for, for a relationship not to be perfect, um, for, um, for these things to happen, you know, and we learn from it. Intentions of kindness compassion, can coexist with righteous indignation. You know, you can have both at the same time. You know, I, I really, I got to get that in, that, that little, you know, I'm really right about this. And, and then the next moment, you've got all this love towards the person. It can all be mushed in together. You know, and that's okay. We're not, we're not completely free. And so the process is just disentangling that. Okay, that was so, that was. Uh, skillful and that you know little righteous indignation wasn't so helpful Um, but to treat those parts of ourselves those wounded parts of ourselves or contractions with compassion with that same kindness so I felt hateful that's okay it hurts to feel hateful instead of condemning ourselves just bringing acceptance to it and um just as I spoke about the hindrances, you know, being the same in, on the cushion or in our relationships, uh, we can treat them in a similar way. So I'm not sure how you work with the hindrance. You know, everybody kind of figures out their own way. But uh, one of the ways that I learned was using uh, what we call the RAIN formula. How many of you have heard of the RAIN formula? Just get a sense. Oh, not many. Okay. (laughs) Not too many. Okay. So the RAIN formula is a way of working with difficult hindrances. Um, The first, the R, is to recognize what it is. Often when something difficult arises, just by recognizing it, it's enough to dissipate because uh, you know what it is. It's like naming the dragon. Um, The second part of the RAIN formula, first you recognize it, then you accept it. Accepting what's happening makes anything much easier. It's already transformed. So if you're angry and you accept, oh, God, I feel really terrible, I'm really angry, and you accept that that's what's happening, it already begins to transform it. And the third part of the formula, the I, is to investigate. And, and it means to go to the body to look what's really happening here right now. It's not an intellectual uh, idea. It's really what's happening in me right now. And so if it's a, like a strong aversion, you know, my, my body's tight, my chest is tight, I'm breathing shallowly, or my face is red because I'm angry, or, you know, what, whatever's happening in the body in the moment, and really be present for it and relax into it, whatever it is. And in... Um, 
the end part is not, I, I haven't found a way to really use it so much in relationship. Um, uh, it means uh, to not take it personally. I mean, it really works in relationship, but it's just, it's a little bit too intellectual for me to make it practical. Whereas um, uh, the, the first three parts really work well in the moment, you know. Uh, so if you're having a conflict, okay, I'm, what's happening right now, recognize I'm really attached. And I accept that I'm attached. So I sort of relax into it. And then I connect with my body, and I know where I am now. So now I can, I can be with the other person and really hear them and see them because I know where I am. And I've accepted and relaxed into where I am. So, um, one of the other things that I wanted to mention is um, recurring triggers in relationship. Um, for people who've been in long-term relationships, you might find that, um, that there's certain subject matters, or even with our parents that happens too, there's certain subject matters that will often trigger a conflict. This, it just has to be brought up, you know, for, um, I think they did some studies uh, where um, uh, sex, money, and um, politics is another one, which, which uh, will you know, create some of the greatest conflict in relationships. So talking about, you know, and every relationship has its own triggers, you know. Um, raising children, that's the other one. Um, and so we know we bring up the subject and there we get into the same pattern, the same over and over and over again. How many of you have experienced that, that the recurring patterns? Okay. And so it's time to do something different, Right. It doesn't work. The same thing doesn't work. And uh, one of the really interesting things we can do, um, you know, we're conditioned, right? That's what conditioning is. You know, it's, it's kind of like you ring the bell with Pavlov's dogs. You know, you ring the bell and they come running. So you bring up the subject, right? You know, money, and there you are, you know, all tightened up. Um, so, you know, they found with, um, they took a bunch of people who were all adults, Okay. And uh, they showed them hypodermic needles, right? And they found just by looking at the needles, uh, their cortisol levels and blood pressure went up. In fact, they had like an 80% rise in this. In, in, let me see, I've got that somewhere here. Um, 80%, no, no, I'm sorry. 80% of the subjects experienced either moderate to severe aversion, fear, and anxiety just by seeing the needles. Then what they did is they took the same needles and they put little butterflies on them and, um, you know, little rainbows and made them really cutesy. And they found most of the people were fine with them. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's our conditioning, right? You know, we're used to thinking of a needle as very threatening. We're used to thinking of little butterflies and, and you know, the, you know, those little, maybe we should all use those little, uh, what are they, Flintstone band-aids, you know? Uh, maybe it does hurt less, right? Um, we're conditioned beings. And so in the same way that our conditioning, has, we've created these situations where you get a trigger and you get into a fight, uh, you can create a new, a new situation. Um, go talk about it in a different space. 
Um, I know one couple, they, um, they both put on their groucho glasses before they, you know, when they go, are about to have a difficult conversation. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know if I could keep a straight face, but... <laughs> Um, but um, other things are like just going to another room, you meditate for five minutes, or you do some loving kindness, or you just uh, light a candle and um, sit, you know, set up a flower, make it pretty. Do something that, uh, so that it creates a different relationship with the subject. So instead of an ordeal to go through, we're now... Um, doing something productive, something where we're learning, so we have a different attitude about it. Changing the environment can make that different. Um, You know, just like uh, we're conditioned, um, you know, the phrase, um, we need to talk. You know, a lot of people, they hear those words, their blood pressure goes up. You know, so (laughs) is there something else we can say? You know, uh, let's do something different. Um... So the, the last thing I want to say is that, um, you know, for people who are in a relationship, some of us in relationships that are, where our partners are really, uh, really care about our own growth and it's really very workable. Some of us are in relationships where, um, you know, partners are really hard to talk to. They're, they're not quite there, that, you know, to do that. Um, some people don't have any primary relationships and may be feeling loneliness around, around the subject. Um, so if, if it's not easily available, there's other place to develop that level of relationships with really good Dharma friends. Um, I know sometimes here we have um, Kalyanamita groups. I don't know if there are, are there some going right now? Yeah, there are, you know, which are basically means spiritual friends. And they're just groups of people, you know, who sign up and they meet at somebody's house. And, and um, you know, they, they bring the practice into those relationships. So it's a really wonderful support to have something in your life where you really get to share, um, you know, a different way of, of living in relationship. Um, Okay. And um, I'll just um, end with, um, you know, one of the, the, the real fruits of practice is um, the unconditional love. That's really, you know, we talk about um, the practice and freedom, uh, nibbana, but really um, there isn't much difference than when there's freedom there's a love that comes out of us uh, that doesn't have any conditions, that, that says, you don't have to be any particular way for me to love you. And uh, it's kind of the sun that shines, you know. It doesn't say, well, I'm going to shine on that person. You know, it's, it's, or, or if they do this, I'll, I'm going to shine on them. But it's a love that just comes out of us, and that, and that is the, uh, a big part of the fruit of this practice, is to... Uh, live a life that brings us deeper and deeper into this unconditional love, a love that doesn't hold back. And um, so I wanted to thank you all, and and I hope you bring some of that uh, unconditional love, a little more of that into your lives. Thank you.